Second Corinthians chapter three, verse thirteen. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse thirteen. It says, "Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work." If any man's work which he has built on it remains, then he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as so through fire. Um, basically, this place of scripture can be sounding a little harsh to start off a service with, but I, I want us to start this service with specifically this place, because this place uh, speaks to me and it tells me that whenever I'm doing anything for God, whenever I, am, I think I'm doing anything for God, I need to check myself. Uh, moreover, whenever I come into the presence of God, if I'm speaking with layman terms, I need to check myself. The reason I check myself is because I want whatever I'm doing, and right now we're going to be listening to the word of God, and we're going to be doing corporate worship, worship right? Singing together to God. It would be very wise of us to simply be honest with ourselves. We don't have to go and run and confess to a pastor right now at this point. We don't have to, you know, do anything special. You just look into your, your own heart, whichever way you can do that by, and say, Lord, what I'm doing right now, is this genuine and is it pleasing to you? And you listen to what God tells you. If you feel convicted, Lord, I'm sorry. I want this to be genuine, and I want this to be pleasing to you. Um, of course, I believe this place is speaking about actual ministry. We're going to have the worship team up on stage. They're going to be ministering. We're going to have preachers standing behind the pulpit. They're going to be ministering. And interestingly enough, um, they're going through people on stage, people behind the pulpit, go through tremendous, um, some more than others, fear of the audience. There's if you guys ever spoke up here, there's a fear of speaking in front of people. I don't know what it is. Some people say it's worse than the fear of death. Not like scientists, not just random people. Like it's, it's a huge fear. So people go through all this, you could say anguish. They prepare a sermon, spend their time. They get up on stage and at the end of the day, they could still be doing it wrong if it's built on the wrong foundation, if it's done for the wrong reasons. And that is why... Um, the preachers will be checking themselves. The worship team will be checking themselves. But let's, let's, if we're talking about us, before we go into this service, and right now we're going to say a prayer of blessing, and I would also want to call it a prayer of sanctification, where we look into our hearts, and before anything else is said in this service, before we sing any single song, we check ourselves. We, if we use biblical language, and we don't like to use this word, we judge ourselves. And we say, Lord, is there anything in me that you want me to change for this service or in my life? And I promise you guys, listen, listen closely. People who do that, they find favor with God. And I want us to be a youth that has favor before God. Amen? Was that, was that too harsh? Or <laughs> I'm not? <laughs> Amen. Okay. Let's pray. Let's pray. And we'll have our guest, Brother Georgi, share a short word before we go into worship. Yeah, 
сделает объявление или представление по-русски. Брат Георгий из Беларуси по профессии компьютерный инженер, да? Да. Как? НК. Вот так, именно. Ну, he's really good with computers. И он проповедник, хороший проповедник, он поделится приветственным словом, и мы начнем прославление. Дорогие друзья, я вас рад всех сегодня здесь видеть и приветствовать любовью Господа нашего Иисуса Христа. Вы знаете, давайте скажем слава Ему вначале за все, что мы сегодня можем здесь сидеть, можем здесь присутствовать, живы, здоровы, и можем прославлять Его Святое Имя. Знаете, я хотел бы сегодня коснуться такой темы, которая можно в двух словах озаглавить как знаете, есть такой классический английский роман Уильяма Текерея, написан в середине прошлого века, позапрошлого, прошу прощения, 19-го. По-английски он называется не очень внятно «A novel without a hero» — «Рассказ без героя» или «Роман без героя». А По-русски ему дали гораздо лучшее название «Ярмарка тщеславия». И сегодня это выражение устойчиво вошло в русский язык, и сегодня наше время я бы назвал вот этими двумя словами «ярмарка тщеславия». Мы живем в такое последнее время, которое сегодня характеризуется тем, что мир состязается. Кто круче, кто дальше, кто больше. Идет бесконечное соревнование мирских людей между собой. И оно происходит сегодня, вы знаете, посредством социальных сетей, Facebook, Instagram особенно и так далее. Люди показывают, что у них больше, у них лучше, у них есть то, чего нет у тебя, у меня есть то, что не будет у другого. И вы знаете, сегодня молодежи очень трудно в этом потоке выстаивать, потому что, безусловно, все мы живые люди, все мы видим эти фотографии, эти свадьбы, прекрасные машины, какие-то путешествия. И дьявол тут как тут, он сразу закрадывается в сердце и говорит, ну, тебе что такого не надо, тебе такое не нужно, а ты бы хотел бы такое же, добейся любыми путями, получи это, чтобы было не хуже, и тоже желательно опубликую в Инстаграм. И вы знаете, за всей этой гонкой тщеславия мы начинаем забывать о Боге. Мы начинаем забывать о том, для чего мы вообще пришли в этот свет, для чего мы служим, для чего мы находимся в собрании, и так далее. Вы знаете, в прежние времена такое тоже бывало. И наиболее ярким примером того, к чему может привести нас человеческое тщеславие, человеческой гордыни, я бы взял двух персонажей знаковых Ветхого Завета. Это два царя. Саул и Давид. Саул, мы знаем, был ну, величественный человек, заметный, выделялся он на фоне остальных. И его поставил Господь в первые цари над Израилем. И вы знаете, сердце этого человека, видимо, очень сильно возгордилось этой миссией. То, что он первый, ему столько почета, ему столько славы, ему столько и успехов на войне, и почет от его народа. И в его сердце, видимо, прокралась вот эта вот червоточина о том, что впереди все-таки он, что он self-made man, 
кузнец своего счастья, да? если выражаться по-русски. На самом деле он забыл о том, кто его поставил на царство, кто дал ему эту силу, знания, возможность завоевывать врагов. И когда приходит испытание, и надо всего лишь было дождаться Елисея, Самуила, извиняюсь, он теряется. Его человеческое желание славы перед народом оказывается давлеющим. Он видит, что люди начинают разбегаться, он теряется, он не знает, как, как в этой ситуации поступить. А надо было очень просто, надо было просто смириться, возвать к Богу и сказать, «Господи, ну вот такая ситуация, я не знаю, почему не приходит пророк, сделай что-нибудь, сделай, чтобы люди перестали разбегаться, возвать к Богу до праха». И я уверен, Господь бы не оставил его возвание, он бы откликнулся, он бы сделал так, чтобы Елисей, вернее, извиняюсь, Самуил, пришел сразу к нему. Но он этого не сделал. Он взял и стал брать на себя ту роль, которую его никто не ставил. И сразу же появляется пророк. И он говорит, что отринул Бог от тебя царство. За непослушание, за вот эту проявленную один раз непослушание, оно явилось следствием чего? Его гордыни. То, что он не захотел поставить Бога впереди себя. А теперь давайте посмотрим на фигуру Давида. Это человек, который, извините, претерпел до начала своего царствования огромное количество унижений. Его гоняли, за ним гнался Саул, он много раз пытался его убить. И Бог делал так, что вроде как у Давида была возможность даже его убить самому. Чтобы быстрее закончилось все это, и он стал нормальным официальным царем Израиля а не самопровозглашенным, как можно сегодняшним языком говорить. Но он отказывается от этого. Он говорит, как я могу поднять руку на помазанника? И Господь, видя это смирение, видя эту его любовь к Богу, он через такие терни дает ему это царство. И казалось бы, Давиду ну, только вот жить и радоваться, что Господь так его благословил, все. Но Давид, мы знаем, впадает в грех. Он убивает... Мужа, женщины, которая ему понравилась, подставляют его на поле сражения, того убивают. Он берет его жены в свои жены. И приходит пророк, обличает его. И мы знаем, что когда он произнес сам себе приговор, он сказал, что за овечку должен воздать человек тот в четверо, мы помним это место из Писания, то пророк сказал, ты тот человек. И Давид мог... В гневе сказать, да вот что ты мне тут приходишь, лекции читаешь, мораль читаешь, да я, я царь, я решу, земля задрожит. Он начинает горько каяться пред Богом. В нем нет этой внутренней гордыни. Он бесконечно любит Бога и понимает, до какой степени он огорчил живого Бога. И он смиряется, он готов понести наказание. И он готов принять его. И Бог в великой милости этого человека прощает. Да, он Понесет наказание, мы знаем, в четыре раза больше потеряет он своих детей, чем один Урия убитый. Но Господь оставляет его на царстве. И более того, его сын, его утешение, Соломон, станет величайшим царем в истории израильского народа. Не будет более равного ему по славе и силе. Потому что Давид смирился перед Богом, он не стал свое «я», свою гордыню выпячивать. И мы читаем об этом в Писании, если мы откроем 
послание Иакова, то мы прочитаем золотой стих Библии. Четвертая глава, шестой стих, тут, может быть, по-английски покажут, я не знаю. «Но тем большую дает благодать, поэтому и сказано, Бог гордым противится, а смиренным дает благодать». Золотой стих Библии, который многие из вас, уверен, знают наизусть, он именно об этом. Что когда мы начинаем свое «я» выставлять, приходит поражение. Когда мы говорим «Господи, вот я, ты звал меня», приходит благодать. И в заключении мы читаем у Иакова известное место, 4 глава, 13 стих. «Теперь послушайте вы, говорящие, сегодня или завтра отправимся в такой-то город и проживем там один год, и будем торговать и получать прибыль. Вы, которые не знаете, что случится завтра, ибо что такое жизнь ваша, пара, являющаяся на малое время, а потом исчезающий. Вместо того, чтобы вам говорить, если угодно будет Господу, и живы будем», то сделаем то или другое. Вы по своей надменности тщеславитесь. Всякое такое тщеславие есть зло. Как категорично звучит. Всякое такое тщеславие есть зло в очах Господних. Поэтому, когда мы сегодня выстраиваем свои планы даже не на год вперед, мы выстраиваем уже на пять лет, на десять лет вперед, Богу это не угодно. Богу угодно, чтобы мы взывали к Нему и просили, «Господи, если Тебе это будет угодно, и Ты нам позволишь, и мы будем живы, то помоги нам сделать то-то и то-то». Не я возьму и сделаю то-то и то-то, но Ты помоги. И Господь никогда вам не откажет, если это в Его воле написано, если это угодно Ему, если это в Его воле, то вы получите успех и благодать в этом деле. Но если вы будете идти сами по себе, то написано «гордым Бог противится». И вы никогда не будете иметь успеха, если будете ставить свое «я» впереди живого Бога. Аминь. И давайте мы сейчас помолимся о том, чтобы Господь научил нас наше собственное «я» ставить позади Его и сказать «Господи, иди впереди меня, я буду идти по Твоим следам». Потому что многие из нас сегодня хотят Бога использовать как некую функцию, как некую миссию защиты, охраны от всего плохого. Но я пойду сам. Это называется бодигард. Но это не живой Господь. Господь должен идти впереди. А вы идете в тени его крыл, по его следам. И вот тогда Господь будет нашим прибежищем и нашей силой. Давайте мы об этом помолимся, чтобы так и было. Аминь. All right, good evening, brothers and sisters. There's a few places that I want to read from first before I get into anything that I want to say or that's from my wisdom or anything like that. And the first place I really quickly wanted to read from is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and starting from verse 7, I'll be reading from there. It says, but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, 
how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. And the first place that I was reading from is talking about the ministry. What ministry? The difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was a ministry of death. It was a ministry of condemnation. It was one that said, if you do not follow this law completely from the very beginning to the very end, you are cursed. That's what it said in Galatians chapter 3. It said, cursed is everyone who does not follow everything that's written in the law. And so here we're reading, there is something greater than this Old Testament. There was something greater than this Old Covenant. And this New Covenant, this New Covenant of righteousness, we have from Jesus Christ. And the next place that I wanted to read from was the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. This gift, this second covenant, the second covenant of righteousness, of life, to us Christians, it was a gift to us. What does that mean? It means there is nothing that you did good to deserve it, and it means there is nothing that God saved you and he saw in the future. Oh, in the future, I see Dennis is going to be preaching, so I think I'm going to save him. No, 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 no. He did not say, I see how well you sing, so in the future I will save you knowing that you will be good to me. This was a gift from God. And even the faith that says inside of you, Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no one greater but him, that was not your own faith. God put that faith inside of you. Our salvation has nothing to do with us. And knowing that, I want to read that last verse that I had planned, and then I'll go into what I had to say. And this is from the book of Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 1 and going on to verse 4. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In verse 4, the one I wanted to emphasize. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. To us who come before God and say, Lord, I do these things as a debt. I do these things as as a payment, or in other words, to those of us who live Christianity, but living it according to the old covenant, the old promise, we live in condemnation. What does that mean? Let's say that you are an individual. You are a Christian. You do go to church, and you know that your faith is in Jesus Christ alone and everything. But for whatever reason, you find yourself always discouraged. You always feel like Maybe in the beginning of your salvation, when you first repented, you were first born again, you were very happy. You had a joy inside of you. You felt so clean. You felt like God loved you. But for some reason now, you feel like God is frowning on you. You feel like for whatever reason, he's very, he's scrutinizing you 
a lot recently. You feel like for some reason, he just has all his focus on you and he's calling out every wrong thing that you have done. And this is something that happens to, I believe, every single Christian. This is something that I struggle with. Consistently, I struggle with this. Where you can get caught up in the works that you do for God and you become discontent. You have forgotten that your salvation had nothing to do with the good things that you've done. Your salvation had nothing to do with your performance for God and it had everything to do with God loving you. And this debt, it says, if, you, if your love for God, if what you do for God in your relationship is based on works, it is no longer grace. It is no longer a new covenant. It is now a debt. It is now the old covenant. And if you live according to the old covenant, not in that you follow the law. This is not something that you say, I'm a Jew or something. I'm going to follow the law. This is very, very subtle. I know I'll give you one example. Very recently, we came back from this six-day trip we had with our Saturday school kids. And for six days, you can get really frustrated with kids. I'm going to be honest with you. And you can get really, really, really annoyed with some of these kids on a bus for six days. And at the end of that trip, I became very, 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 very discouraged. I said, Lord, you saw how many mistakes I made. You saw how many kids I yelled at. You saw that kid that I was very aggressive to. You saw how impatient I was with so-and-so, X, Y, Z. And I just had a long list of things that I did wrong on that trip, you could say. And I was saying, Lord, I am so sorry. And I was just thinking back and I was saying, I could have done that better. I could have done that better. I could have done that better. And in sanctification, that's a good thing. We should always be checking ourselves, like Andre said. We should be making sure that we're following in faith, the love that God asks us to live in. But I had forgotten that God loves me no matter what. And that even if I did not do something perfectly, even, and you will never do everything perfectly, even though I did not do everything by the book, I did not do everything as best as I could, God still loved me and I had no reason to be feeling the way that I was feeling after that trip. That was just one example I wanted to give you. In another case, maybe you preach a sermon. You like to do a lot of sermons. And for some reason, you've been feeling like recently, you just don't sound that interesting. Nobody's giving you amens during the middle of the sermon. And you just feel like, God, you're not opening up the word to me like you used to. They tell me to preach 30 minutes. I barely get 20 in. And I'm just babbling the rest of the 10 minutes. And you say, God, there must be something wrong with me. And you've already fallen back into a debt is needs to be paid. I need to do this perfectly. You've already fallen back to condemnation and that death. That is exactly what it is. It is death. But as long as we remember, no matter what the ministry is, whether it is singing or preaching or teaching or evangelizing, even we have a missionary trip coming up. A lot of people are going to Ukraine, to Moldova for the few months. Mistakes will be made. And if you say to yourself, God, I need to do this perfectly to maintain this relationship with you. God, I know that I love you, but I cannot reach that standard that you've given me. I'm very, very, very sorry. And you live your Christianity. You do your ministry in condemnation, saying, God, I owe you something. God, I have a debt to pay. I need to do works and works to maintain my love with you. You will live in a spirit of discouragement, discontent, sadness, 
and sorrow. But when you say, God, I thank you for these opportunities to serve, and I know that you love me no matter what happens, no matter how I perform, if I'm faithful, you still love me, God. And that this is all by grace and by grace alone. Our Christianity will be very, 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 very joyful, very pleasant. When you can say, God, I know that you're not frowning at me. I don't know how many times I was sitting and I would say, Lord, you're probably frowning at me right now. I know I didn't do that how I was supposed to. God, I know I didn't put that much effort into that sermon, Lord. I know you're probably very mad with me right now. And I think all of us have had enough time feeling like that. We should no longer feel like God is frowning on us. That's not our, that's not our covenant anymore. Our covenant is life, and it is righteousness through Jesus Christ. I think we can all just stand up and pray. Можно попросить вас остаться на ногах еще для того, чтобы мы прочитали из Писания. И я попрошу высветить на экране Римлянам, 12 глава. Это то, что мы уже читали в прошлый раз. И это хорошее место, которое поможет нам сегодня очень много. Я буду читать по-английски. Давайте, может, все даже вместе прочитаем. 12 глава Римлянам, Romans chapter 12. And I'll start with verse 1. And we'll go just the first eight verses, all right? Is that on the screen? Not yet. Romans 12:1. If you have your Bibles, you can read from the Bibles. Um, all right, all right. And I'll be reading from NASB, if you can change the translation, just so that we are on the same page. All right, let's go. Therefore, uh, we will read together, all right? Let's go. Therefore, I urge your brethren by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Thank you. You may be seated. And if we can put back the first two verses, verse 1 and 2, just as a quick review, last time we started these chapters, Romans 12, 13, 14, the great chapters for application in our Christian life. Before that, some brothers already preached on this uh, today. Before that, the scripture gives us really basic but foundational concepts, how to build your faith. And my goal, I'll tell you right away, I'm speaking to your mind today 
so that you will change your beliefs, your convictions. I know I should say as a spiritual person, I speak to your spirit so that spirit will be changed and then your mind. But you will see from the scripture that in your mind, if nothing is changed today, not a little tiny bit, then it's just in vain. You didn't do anything today. You didn't learn anything. You're not going to be changed. That's not really hope, right? But I'm speaking, I'm praying that the Lord will touch your heart. Like Dennis was preaching, uh, Brother Andre, we're reading from the scriptures. They said something, it's already stuck in my heart. It's in my mind, in my heart, because I accepted that and I have a belief, I have faith in, in whatever they said in the scripture. If you have that belief, your behavior, your conduct will change. If you don't believe it, you will not change. Last time we talked about the power of cross. And in the song today we sang, I will cling to the old rugged cross. In Russian it says, Я душою прильну ко кресту. Такое выражение. В нем покой обрету и венец. А по-английски, ну оригинал вообще-то по-английски, мне больше нравится, потому что там интересное происходит, значит, значит описание. Interesting thought. He says, I will cling to the cross. That means that I'll carry the cross in my life. And then one day I'll exchange that for a trophy or for the reward. And that's so powerful because that's the whole point. We just read from the scripture, verse 1 says that we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Remember last time we were talking that sacrifice is not just one time I got killed and, I, and, and then you know, who cares what happens next? It's like everyday painful process. You take your cross and you carry it with yourself and then you make a painful decision, which is in biblical terms, crucifying yourself. And after you made that painful decision, all of a sudden you get joy from the Lord because you obeyed God's will. And by the way, following the Lord is not always making painful decisions, okay? It's, it's sometimes the painful or the pain comes from that struggle between what we want for our flesh and what the Spirit of the Lord wants for our spirit so that we will actually have eternal life, so that we will have that source of life. Uh, and we'll talk about that just briefly today because I think we had a lot of time last time to talk about the importance of the cross not just jesus cross believe again there's difference between the two jesus cross is for your salvation amen for my salvation he died for my sins i also get healing from his wounds i also get grace but then there's my cross your own cross jesus said whoever does not take up his own cross his cross not jesus's cross his cross that means that we live day by day, by crucifying our bad decisions, bad desires, by crucifying them, making the right decisions and following the Lord. Now, if the cross becomes our personal decision, uh, my question is, you know, how many decisions did you make in the past that you didn't follow up on, you didn't keep your, your word, you didn't keep the promise? Was there anything in your life that you promised and then you didn't really keep? Anybody besides me? Just once at least? Maybe you promised not to eat that extra chocolate, but you still ate it, right? Okay? We promised a lot. We promised at the beginning of the year to read the Bible. Then we didn't keep the word. 
We promise to eat less, run more, pray more, uh, I don't know, get rid of something, to do something more, to give the tithe, and, and so on and so forth. And then the time comes, and we see that we didn't do it. Of course, there's God's grace. I strongly believe in that, you know, powerful word from the Scripture. But still, we want to be followers of the Lord. We want to keep our promises. Why don't we keep our words? Why don't we keep our promises? Why don't we stick to your, our own decisions? No, you're, you're just, just getting it, just, just trying to get what I'm talking about. Can you talk with each other just like for 20 seconds? Why don't we stick to our decisions? Why don't we keep our words? Just turn to, to a neighbor and talk about it. Ask your neighbor a question. Why don't we keep the decisions? Ten more seconds, ten more seconds. Okay, five seconds. All right. Three, two, one. Okay, I'm pretty sure you have some answers, right? Raise your hand if you think your neighbor gave a really good answer to that. Oh, awesome, awesome. I see. Good, good. All right. So what, what might be, give me some ideas. Why don't we keep our, our words, the, the promises? Okay. Uh, seems like we have a hand right there, but okay, I'll start with that. Sometimes we're too distracted. Aha, uh -huh. so we get distracted by something. It's not a setup, by the way. She's participating. That's great. I mean, maybe somebody else is brave enough. Come on. Why? Yeah. Well, no, preachers don't come. <laughs> uh, Peter, what do you think? Okay, so temptations, right? We get distracted, pretty much same thing. So there's some kind of power, external power, right? Okay, what else? But hey, I didn't say that some people actually really keep their promises for the rest of their lives. They become vegan or they become athletes or they become, you know, preachers, whatever. And they, they follow on the, their promise. What do you think? So I, I think that uh, some people don't keep their promises because it doesn't really mean anything to them. Mmm. Can you talk more about that? What do you mean? Do they don't mean? I mean, you you decide to I don't know what what do you decide to do? <laughs> well, j just for you know, kind of like an example, uh, somebody might say, "Oh yeah, I promise to go uh, to uh, every youth service." Sure, yeah. Well, I promise to go to every youth service, uh, you know, and I swear I'll do this. Blah blah blah, and then you know. Ne next Tuesday, they just forget. They find something more appealing. All right, all right. Does everyone agree with that point? Sorry? Okay. That doesn't mean... Okay. Well, I'm not going to keep you in suspense. What I see in the Scripture, when we make certain promises, when we make decisions, we do not follow uh, through on them because they are made against our convictions or beliefs and you might say no I really believe that I have to lose some weight and I'll do that weight lifting or whatever and and but the fact says that when you made that decision you didn't really believe inside of you because the scripture clearly says chapter 12 <laughs> 
verse 1 and 2, if it's still on the screen. Awesome. That when we are changed, when our mind, when our inner man is changed, and when he is in charge, then we will keep our words. We will get to know what God's will is, and we will follow um, through on our promises. Now, I want to explain, because this might be really radical statement, I want to um, explain a little bit more what I mean. Everybody knows that we are made of three parts, right? As a spirit, what else? Soul and our bodies, right? And our body gets signal from our soul. Soul is our mind, is our feelings, what to do, okay? It's not like somebody gets up in the morning and just realizes that the body is already walking to work or, or doing something, right? We give signal to our body. Of course, we don't think like, hey, raise your hand, eat your cereal, stuff like that. But we are thinking of something and our thoughts dictate, okay, next thing is this. The scripture says that our spirit must control what the soul does and then the soul gives signals to the body. In other words, our new, born-again spirit must be dominating fleshly desires. The way not spiritual person or not born-again person lives is the opposite of what God's design is. The body, the fleshly desires, they send signal to the soul. I want that thing. I want that phone. I want that car. I want to go there or do this. I don't want to go to the youth service. I don't want to read the Bible. Our body dictates, or body of the not born again person, dictates what the soul needs to do. And those people, they just follow the scripture says their fleshly desires. And not born again person, not regenerated, dead spiritually, does not even listen to the Spirit. The only thing that is in the Spirit, that, that cry, that, uh, that emptiness that is deep inside, that's it. The Spirit is dead. The consciousness, uh, the, everything that we have inside uh, is dead. Okay? When God gives a new birth to the person, when we come, and we come to him and realize that we need Jesus as a Savior, then our spirit gets new birth. We become a new creature. And that baby, that spiritual baby, is so small. It needs God's Word every day. And that's why the Scripture says, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind the soul has to get signal from the spirit and be renewed because we already have our habits. We already have our tastes. We already know what we would like to do. We already know about our failures. We know that we will make the same mistakes. And if our mind is not renewed, we don't even have a hope. And so the scripture says that when we come to the Lord, we need our faith to grow. In Romans chapter 10, a couple of chapters before, it says, the faith, our faith in the Spirit comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ or by the Word of God. 
In other words, if we want our body to do the right thing, our soul needs to be fed with God's Word. Not the Spirit, by the way. I know that we think about Spirit, but our soul, our mind has to grow, has to be transformed constantly by the Word of the Lord. And our bodies, by the way, it says in the Scripture, uh, verse 1, that we need to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. The only way that our spiritual uh, man can be demonstrated is in our bodies. I look at your body and I see, you know, whether you're transformed or not. You cannot prove for me somehow else that you have a, a different mind, a mind of Christ. Only through your words, only through the body, only through how you wear clothes, only through, through the actions, through the behavior, we can see whether there is a transformation or not. There is no other way. How can, you, how can you prove that you're being born again? And that's why even the first step when we have that water baptism, it's a physical illustration over the body. You get your body in the water and you illustrate something that happens in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual world. And then the walk with Christ is in the same way. Things that you like, words that you say, things that you prefer to watch, everything testifies to the fact what happened in your life. Now, somebody said that 87% of information that we get in this world, in this culture, is negative. And not just the news. But in essence, you know, things that we receive through our ears, through our uh, eyes, are negative. And only 13 about that. I don't know statistics, you know, how, how true that is. But majority of information that comes in our soul is negative. You can imagine how much time we need to spend filling our mind with the positive stuff. And first of all, the scripture says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world because it's attacking with the negative, with hopeless stuff. Even though people promise hope, presidents promise hope, it doesn't come true because it doesn't, um, comes, uh, you know, doesn't change us because it's not coming from the living source. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is always positive, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And uh, this first thought, I have about 10 more minutes. First thought that I want to make sure that we get is that we as Christians need to start our transformation from the inside. It's not going to happen if you read all the rules. If you go to youth camp and you read, you know, what to wear, what not to bring to the camp, don't bring guns, don't bring alcohol, things like that. It's not the way you're, you live with Christ. The change comes from the inside. But the inside is not changed just automatically. The faith, the conviction that is inside, the belief, comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. And I will add to that from hearing not just once, but constantly hearing to the Word of God. I brought this example in the church 
that when you use GPS and when you drive, you have to get that signal in real time. What use if you know, you know all the maps of Tacoma and Seattle? But if you don't get those directions immediately, right now, in a split of a second, you're turning the wrong direction. And so the faith comes from continuous hearing of the Word of God. I'm not trying to blame anyone. I know that it takes some effort. It takes some sacrifice. But you have to read the Word of the Lord. If you ask me how much, minimum three chapters a day. Okay? I believe in all that stuff. Spend 15 minutes just meditating on one verse. That's all good. But please stick to at least minimum three chapters a day. Okay? You eat three times a day, at least three chapters a day. Okay? And you will be barely alive you know, spiritually. If you want to feast on God's Word, read more, think about it, memorize it, um, say it. Keep it in your mouth, in, uh, as it says in Joshua chapter 1. If you receive God's Word, you're not just receiving the Word, you're receiving the power. Can you say amen? The power, because God's Word is powerful. I don't know, don't ask me how it works. Simple, simple uh, verses from the Bible, but they are powerful. Because they are true, 100% true. And truth has that quality of liberating a person. This whole world lies in the lie, lie of devil. And the world that we don't see, spiritual world, the kingdom of God, is the true thing. And if you read about God's kingdom, you get the right vision. You get, get the right worldview. You know how things should work. Because everything in this world is messed up. People are messed up because of the fall, because of the sin of Adam. We're all messed up in our lives. We're crooked, the Bible says. We're different, uh, you know, we're inclined to do only bad and evil stuff. And even being born again, our, our body, our flesh desires to do the bad things that are destructive to our spirit. And so we always, always, always need to feed on God's word. Say amen if you believe that. Now, um, as I say, um, as I think about the power of uh, God, I also should mention about the power of this world. Because if it was so easy to get transformed by the power of God's word, there would be no need for the churches, for the preachers, for the prayer services, and so on. The, the world that we live in is really, really powerful. And I'm not talking about, you know, world in a sense of, you know, human cities uh, and, and, and uh, countries. I'm talking about the system, the system that is hostile to your life that is hostile to your new life. The best illustration that I can, can remember of is uh, like the water system versus the, the opposite of the water system. <laughs> What's it? Tell me you know, what it is. Um, if you go swimming, you go to a hostile environment, to the environment where you cannot live. You can swim for a while, you can dive, and stay there for maybe a minute, but you cannot live in the water. You're not designed to live in the water. You're not fish. You're a human. 
And if you want to go scuba diving, if you want to spend a little bit more time than normal for, for an average human being, you need to have some storage of the air. You need to have that tank. You need to have some supplies so that when you are in the hostile environment, you can live and not die. There is pressure in that environment that if you do not overcome, you will be killed. You will be destroyed by that pressure. The more you go, the deeper you go in that environment, the more chances you're not going to survive. And when we look at the Bible, we see that the same thing happens with our spiritual man. We don't realize this, but we go into the world, and this world is an enemy to God. I'm reading First um, John, and you can put this on the screen as well. This is a wonderful passage. We'll read it together later. And it says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and, and again, this is so, um, such a direct language. There is no compromise, uncompromising statement. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, we've heard about this from our brother, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lost. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, the world, if we think about this term, um, may we just substitute it for tonight, for now, with the simple word, culture. Say with me, culture. Okay? The world system, system of all the concepts and things that we, we see around us, is called culture. Culture is not static. It's not fixed. Culture is always changing. It's sort of life. It brings death to the spiritual person. It's against God. It's against God's kingdom. It's like water versus air, but it is happening. It's where we live. We live in the culture, whatever culture it is. And I'm talking in general terms, not necessarily Slavic culture versus American culture. Just whatever we leave, whatever happens around us, that's the world. And I'm not saying that, you know, you look at the trees, you look at that, that all of them are enemies, you know, whatever God's created. I'm talking about the system of the world, the cultural things, okay? Cultural things, I, I don't have time to dwell on that, but basically that's all the things that human beings do do or make of the world. God created this world. Everything was nice. He created nice, great relationship between, between people. People messed it up. They started calling it hookup time, dating time, things like that. That's one of the aspects of the culture. Welcome to the modern culture. And God says that everything was in this world, what's in this culture is lust of eye, lust of the flesh, and the proud or boastful um, pride of life. And I want you to, just to emphasize this concept, if we can read 1 John verses 15 through 17 in chapter 2, but substitute the world, the word world with the culture, okay? And read slowly, just to, so that it sinks. Okay, ready? Did, did you get it? 
Don't read the word world, read culture just for now. Go ahead. Do not love the culture nor the things in the culture. If anyone loves the culture, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the culture, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the culture. The culture is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, friends, we're talking about transformation. Don't forget that. Okay, we have three more minutes. Let's, let's come back and kind of summarize what we're talking about. First of all, as a spiritual person, I want to be always transformed. As soon as I stop reading God's Word, as soon as I stop coming to fellowship like this one, I'm sleeping, I'm sliding back, and, and I'm just in the danger of being crushed by that pressure. It's like in the water, I'm diving, you know, 90 feet and, and without any, you know, equipment and air supply. It's just crazy. And the Bible says you cannot live like that. If you love it, if it's just your environment where you enjoy living, there's something wrong with you. So the first type of people, you are not even, don't even start with the transformation. You need repentance. You really need God. You need to repent and being born again. Second type of people or category that I'm talking right now to is those of you who are baby spiritually. I don't know. I cannot measure your, 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 your age, spiritual age. But I know that in this chapter, in verse um, uh, 14, just, just previously, one verse before the 15th, it says that if you're spiritually, at least young people, then it says, I have written to you young men because you're strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the culture and the evil one in this culture. You see the point? So if you feel like you're always losing, if you feel like you're not following through on your decisions, spiritual decisions, something's wrong. Not enough word in you. Okay? Not enough. Jesus said, I'm not going to take your time, but I'm going to read quickly from chapter 17. Jesus said that, I have given them your word. He gave us his word. And the culture has hated them because they are not of the culture. Even as I'm not of the culture, I do not ask you to take them out of the culture, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the culture, even as I am not of the culture. Sanctifying them in the truth, your word is truth. Again, culture versus word, that transformation needs to happen. As you sent me into the culture, I also have sent them into the culture. God sent us in the water. Okay? I don't know if you, 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 we can compare his kingdom to a submarine because I think his kingdom is greater and it's, you know, it's much greater than this world and the, the, the prince of this world. But in a way, that kingdom can withstand any pressure from the world or from the culture. And he said, I send them into the culture. It's not like we have to run away. Now we should stop even talking with, with the people around us. In fact, I was late to the youth service. I was planning to come for the prayer. And I, I, I left my home like 45 minutes before. And then I, just before I left, one of my neighbors came to me. And I started talking with them because that's such a rare thing. I'm actually praying, Lord, 
let me talk with my neighbors. These Americans, they are so closed up. Like, you cannot talk with them about anything. And now he's running to me. He's like, you know what? Somebody stole my battery from my trailer this night. I was actually sleeping in the trailer. And somebody still stole the battery. So watch your garage. I'm like, okay, what's your name? You know, Steve. Okay, let's talk. You know, and we talk. And turns out he's a substitute teacher. And I'm principal and all that. And we talk. And I'm like, just enjoying. I'm like, praying, Lord, help me talk with him. You know, and then. Eventually, he invited me for a party in his trailer. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it, but I have to go to the youth service. So I'm planning to go to his party, okay? Not to drink, not to... I know that we live in the culture. I have to go there. I have to... I ha but when I talk about my spiritual growth, okay, my mindset, it has to be transformed. It has to be changed. And this culture, what is it trying to do? What the world is trying to do? It's trying to shape you. Okay, that's the word. That transformation, another word, is shaping. Okay, you, you, it, in this world, is trying to shape us in a certain shape, in the shape of the world. And that's why the scripture says that the mindset of a spiritual person, the mindset of the carnal or fleshly or unborn or young uh, spiritually person, they, they are like two conflicts. Here's the shape of Christ and here's the shape of the world. And they are not fitting together. And in order to be in the shape of the Christ mindset, you have to be transformed from this to this. And that's not happening in a day. That's not happening even in a, in a year. It's a process, a lifetime process, but it has to start because young people, I don't have time to talk about the rest of it. Um, I promise to, to read the, the, the rest of this, uh, the verses, but... Um, Basically, when Apostle Paul writes about serving others, being in the, in the, as, a, as a giver, as a teacher, and the, what that means? That means that a person started, started seeing that transformation. Oh, the shape of Christ's mindset is being a servant. Okay, so I'm not going to be, be all about myself, as we heard today. I'm not going to feed my ego. I'm actually going to follow Christ's example, and he was servant to others. And so I'm going to grow spiritually in the body of Christ, and I'm going to find my place, and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and that's the way I'm going to grow spiritually. Amen? Summarizing this whole thing. We start with the cross that's making decision. But decision itself is not going to help if you still have wrong convictions, wrong beliefs in your mind, in your inner man. And in order to change those beliefs, you got to spend time in the truth. You got to fall in love with, with God's truth. And you have to eat it and it has to become part of you. Okay. Honestly, I'm still not doing the weightlifting because deep in my heart, in my, in my mindset, I believe I don't need that, okay? It's not going to change my health. It's not going to add me any money. I'm not sick. I'm not, uh, I look okay like now. You know, my wife likes me. Who cares, you know, about weightlifting? So I can make a decision like, okay, is it hard just for 15 minutes to get up in the morning and do the weightlifting? No. But I'm going to do it for maybe two, three mornings, and then I'll quit. Because deep in my side, I, uh, inside, I have different conviction. So may the Lord help you to be transformed according to His will, which is good, which is perfect, which is pleasing Him. Let's all stand up and pray.